fire the damn cannons. That's right, because your Tampa Bay Buccaneers are officially world champions. Super Bowl 55, a 31 to 9 beatdown over the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. What's up, everyone? Welcome into the North and South podcast. We are going to break down the big game, Tampa Bay Super Bowl 55 win over the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm your host, Evan Winner. Follow me on Twitter at Evan underscore Winner. Jason Curtis, my co-host, is here with me today. Find him on Twitter at JC Bucks Nation. You can find both of our written work on BucksNation.com, which is SBNation.com's Tampa Bay Buccaneers blog. Should I say world champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers blog, world champion blog, whatever. Those are the fires that have forged this podcast. Jason, my dude, what is up? It is a beautiful Monday. Hey, but before we get started, tar me, feather me, tie me to the back of a car and drag me down a street filled with shards of glass, even on fire if, if you want. Whatever punishment I deserve, for picking the Kansas City Chiefs to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Dude, I was so wrong. My foot has never yeah. tasted better, and I, I've i never been this happy to be so wrong in my life. What's up, man? How's it going? Dude, I'm elated. It's, it's awesome. It's a good time to be covering this team, covering your favorite team. It's just a great day to be alive. Not only that, Evan, but it was on my birthday. It was <laughs> on my birthday. I the turned stars 41 have on Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, February 7th. That is my actual birthday. And it was an amazing day. And it was filled with excitement. Best game that I probably could have asked for. And you know what, Evan? I did the same thing, though. I did the same thing back in the NFC Championship. I picked the Packers. I did not think that the Bucks could have overcome the high-flying offense that, that was uh, Aaron Rodgers and, and Devontae Adams. But, hey, proven wrong time and time again. So both of us can eat, uh, put their foot in their mouth, and that is okay. And you, my friend, I thought by us picking opposite in this game was going to bode very, uh, very negatively <laughs> in that regard. Because, I mean, it's happened before, right? I mean, it's happened in the Saints game where I said, no, the Bucks are going to win. And you said, no, the Saints are going to win, man. I think they're going to win. And that was the the second time around, and totally, oh man, I, I I'll be honest, man, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw you down the the hole too quickly here, because you know what, every I I think as we'll say, and as we'll be reporting today and recapping this this game, all signs pointed in that direction. The needle leaned towards the Kansas City Chiefs, and everybody gave the Kansas City Chiefs their props, their dues. They absolutely thought that they were going to be pulling this out. There was no reason for the for anyone to think that the Buccaneers had a place in the Super Bowl they proved everyone time and time again wrong all season long why not do it in the biggest game of the season it was just absolutely remarkable Buccaneers are Super Bowl champs baby this is one of the most impressive Super Bowl runs in recent memory, and I'm not – this is not recency bias or anything like that. I mean, when you look at the last three quarterbacks that this team has beaten, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, all yeah. three Super Bowl MVPs, all three NFL MVPs, all three considered the best Well, Mahomes hasn't gotten the NFL MVP yet. I don't think he's, yeah, he he's won made in the 20, league's he MVP. Won, he won it in 2018 when he threw Oh, five, see, five, now there, there we go. There, there's Jason not remembering his stats again. You're welcome, Bucks Nation. Awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, dude, it's just this run that Tampa Bay went on, and not only did the deflects 
or deflex, the defense flex its muscles. I mean, dude, it just literally drove this Kansas City offense in the ground. It made them look like the Jets. I mean, Kansas City could not do anything on offense. Now, granted, there were some mistakes on their ends, and there were a lot of situations in which they did not help themselves. But the Bucks defensive line, we talked about it all week. If the if they wanted any chance in this game, they'd have to get pressure with four. They'd have to dominate with their front four. It's exactly what they did. Todd Bowles blitzed, but not as near as much as he usually does. And then the secondary, man, the secondary was just absolutely on fire. They were mm-hmm. playing sticky coverage. Of course, they allowed best a couple. Game of the, best, best game of the year. Best game easily, of the year for this easily. And we'll talk about this a little bit in the second segment. But, dude, you've got to feel great going forward with the secondary. Jordan Whitehead even had a big hit at one point, And you could tell – I rewatched the game today. He comes flying in. And then right there at the last second, he instead of hitting with his left injured shoulder, he came in there and adjusted and hit with the right and just made it just as an impactful hit. Oh, it's amazing to see how showed, much impact yeah. that he was. Yeah. yeah and, well, and, just show, and just showed that just the awareness and the focus. This team – in general, how aware, how focused they were. I mean, Sean Murphy bunting's pass breakup on the offsides call, that would have been a touchdown, and that would have stood. That would have been a 7-0 Kansas City lead, but instead, Sean Murphy bunting has the awareness, he has the focus to still go up and try to make the play, to knock the pass down. I mean, dude, this was championship football to a T, and the 31-9 score absolutely reflected it. Tampa Bay destroyed the Chiefs. You know, Andy Reid said it best in his postgame conference, and he tipped his cap to Todd Bowles. And he said, kudos to Todd. Todd Todd beat us just flat out. He said Todd was – he obviously had the, the, the proper schemes. And, and even Travis Kelsey uh, said in his postgame uh, conference that they schemed us pretty well. I mean, <laughs> that kind of sums it up is like, Holy shit, like totally blew him out of the water. I don't think that they would have anticipated. I think they we definitely saw that Ben don't break type of mentality, that that game plan that they had on the defensive ball. This game was no doubt won by that defense. This wasn't this was barely an offensive game. If you actually considered, if you look at the numbers and everything else, 195 passing yards. I mean, it wasn't like a huge flying down the field by Tom Brady. Um, you know, for the most part, I mean, it, it just was not a huge offensive game. It was definitely a defensive game. Now, of course, you know, we're scoring a little bit more touchdowns, of course, um, much more from that red zone, which the Bucks were able to capitalize on more than the Kansas City Chiefs. And mm, that I is wonder, hats I'll- off to that defense. Wonder who said it was going to be a defensive game. Hmm. Ah, well done. Well played, sir. Well done. Yes, I try yes, to yes, tell yes. you. Try to tell tip you. Tip my no. cap. Tip my cap. 26 of 49 for 270 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions was Patrick Mahomes' final, final stat line. I think going into the fourth quarter, he was like 11 of 22 for 100 yards. I mean, just, just completely contained him and controlled him. And this yeah. is the first game in Patrick Mahomes' career where the Chiefs, as a team, haven't scored an offensive touchdown. That I mean, that, that's how groundbreaking this was. And going into this game, since he took over as a starter in 2018, the Chiefs averaged around 6.4 yards per play, only averaged 5.1 yards per play. So just significant drop-offs everywhere you look. Now, granted, they did have some pretty effective runs. Clyde's Edward, or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire came out of that Hilaire. second half. 
Yeah, Elair. Oh, yeah, sorry. Eclair, huh? No, but uh, 17 attempts for 107 yards, 6.3 uh, average per carry was the, as the team total. Now that throw in five carries from uh, 33 yards from Patrick Mahomes. So numbers a little bit inflated, but Mahomes made some plays with his legs as well, as we talked about last week. But, dude, when you juxtapose that on the other side of the ball with what Tampa mm-hmm. Bay did on the ground, 33 for 145, 4.4 yards a clip and a touchdown. Uh, Leonard Fournette, 16 for 89 and a touch. Uh, Ronald Jones, 12 for 61, both over five yards per carry. Dude, I haven't heard many people talk about this so far. This offensive line dominated Kansas City. They were moving bodies. I'm talking knocking dudes two to three yards off the line of scrimmage, off the ball. They were protecting Brady, even on the first uh, third down, of the game, the third and seven where Brady kind of out through, I say out through because he, Chris Godwin was running an out and he kind of threw a little bit more towards the sideline. Brady did. But even on that play, Spagnolo sent a blitz and the Bucks picked it up and Brady had a pocket to throw. He had a throwing lane. So Jason, I want your honest opinion on this because I am fully on board after this performance this is the best offensive line in Tampa Bay history. This is the best starting front five, even with Aaron Stinney in the mix, in Tampa Bay history. What they've done throughout the season, how they've improved, just how physical they are and what they're capable of when they're all playing at a high level. I've never seen this before in my 25 years of watching this team. I, no, I can't deny that. I mean, they are absolutely they, – they've, they've matured as a unit. They have gotten better as a unit. And I could say four of those guys, no doubt. I still have question marks on Donovan Smith. He has played remarkably well in the second half of the season. I'm not taking that away from him. He did still get beat a couple times. He did get a couple QB uh, hits, uh, you know, in the Super Bowl. I, I was watching that and throughout the playoffs. But it, it, it comes from the edge. And as long as Brady can get it out of his hands, which he's been getting a lot better at because he's he's able to find that open man. If, if we just, you know, it's it's almost like a, a, an inch. It's not even a foot anymore. It's an inch. If they got an inch better, it was it would be on that left side. And that'd be with Donovan Smith, to be honest with you. But on, absolutely, if you're looking at franchise history, of course. I mean, arguably, uh, 2002, you know, Bucks uh, O-line was pretty remarkable. I mean, Brad Johnson being able to peg it down. And he didn't have many uh you know wide receivers i mean his biggest go-to target was Keyshawn johnson i mean you didn't have six different receivers like tom brady has on this team okay and what they were able to accomplish back in the 2002 season is is nothing short of a miracle so you know very close tied if not better you're right uh from from the 02 season and again that that team was obviously offensively put together very well by tony dungy um, you, you know, so obviously as this team has been shaped by Jason Light and by uh, Bruce Arians, that was the key focus. The key focus for Jason Light, even before uh, Bruce Arians' time here, was to improve that offensive line. And they certainly have proven that they got the right pieces. And like I said, a, a, an inch better, maybe they could get even better heading into this next season with Donovan Smith. But they did sign him uh, this past year to a three-year deal. So it looks like Donovan's going to be here more long-term, maybe a trade could happen. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, he did get a lot better. So uh, moving into the 2021 season is going to be very interesting, to, to, to say the least, uh, with that offensive line. 
The in Donovan's defense, the sack on Brady was given up by Ali Marpet, but now that's also because it was a really, really well. I did want to mention that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was except it for was that a, one sack. It was everything it, else was lights out. Yeah, it was a it was a really well executed and well designed stunt by the Chiefs. So it would probably catch was that Okafor that got in. There? Uh, it was Frank Clark and Chris Jones on the on the defensive right side. Uh, Chris Jones took the outside angle, and then Clark took the stunt, the wrap around on the inside, and that's what beat Marpet. And I mean, Frank Clark's a, he's not elite, but he's a very, very good pass rusher. And if he's coming oh, off, the, sure. if he's coming, if he's coming off free like that with a head of steam. Most of the time you're screwed. So, but, um, dude, just like I said, what they've done just all season long in terms of their body of work. I mean, you look at that 2002 offensive line, they allowed 41 sacks. Uh, this year's offensive line only allowed, I think, 22 or 23. Mm-hmm. Um, adjusted mm-hmm. line yards back in 2002 was 3.95. Um, in 2020, I believe Tampa Bay was like a top 10 team in terms of adjusted line yards. Actually, they were ninth with 4.55. So I, I know there were the Paul Gruber days, and he was a very, very good. Um, Obviously, you had, I think, the 2015 season where Doug Martin just had the incredible year and even 2012. Oh, there's man. always been there's always been some good individual players on the offensive line. Donald Penn, Davin Joseph, like I said, Paul Gruber, um, hell, even John Terry. Um, uh, but and even Jeff Christie, even. But. I mean, there's never been a front five as effective, as cohesive and that is just as good of a group as these guys, in my opinion. And, and I'll even say this to, to to take that a step further: is is Brad Johnson is even more mobile a mobile quarterback than Tom Brady was, even though he's. Yeah, I, I was interesting because I, I actually watched the two thousand four, I think, quarterback challenge in the Pro Bowl, and Brad Johnson was in there, and it was him, Brady. And Hasselback and and like one other guy, I don't remember who it was, but they were going around, and I'm like, damn, Brad Johnson was actually pretty damn quick back then. I mean, that dude was actually pretty quick. <laughs> so in in that regard, and and I'm going somewhere with this, Tom Brady. You even mentioned it before, Evan. He's a statue behind the line when you're trying to protect a porcelain statue. I'm not gonna call him porcelain, but I'm gonna say whenever he's a statue, okay, he's far back from there. porcelain. Far, no, far. no, no, no. He's a tough dude. He's a tough dude. No, <laughs> he's no, no, yeah, no. He's but concrete. he's, but he's valuable. Maybe I meant that from a porcelain perspective. Yeah, like he's valuable, valuable like that. There you yes, go. there you go. You gotta block him. So yes, do they? From that regard, you had to be even more tougher to make sure that you had this nice little pocket because we even saw that little diagram, a little, uh, you know, the um, uh, scatter plot on Twitter where it showed Tom Brady doesn't go more than about five feet outside of that pocket right there. Whereas every other quarterback was, was kind of free roaming all the way sideline to sideline. But yeah, Tom Brady gets stuck right there. So that put even more emphasis on how good this offensive line had to be. Well, a lot of people also talk about how he throws the ball away a lot to avoid sacks and that in turn. Well, that's that's smart football. Right. but But yeah, but I'm also going somewhere with this as well is this year Tom Brady only threw away 17 passes, which was tied for the 17th most in the league. So he was below average in terms of throwaways. Um, You want to talk about Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes had 23. Russell Wilson had 25. Josh Allen had 25. I mean, there are more, more, way more mobile quarterbacks throwing the ball away more than Tom Brady. So just an even more – 
just even more of a statement about how well this offensive line played. But sticking on the offensive ball side of the ball, man. Well, let me ask you a question before you move on to the next question. Don't you think some of those throwaways were a little questionable from Patrick Mahomes? Because I saw one being thrown at uh, the feet of the lineman where I did not see an eligible receiver within two to three or five yards or however long that was. And there was one that he threw away that I'm like, I don't think he was outside the pocket. Yeah, I'd have to go back and like really, really look. I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of more flying through everything. But the one that sticks out in my mind was the third down where Shaq Barrett just caused him to drop. I mean, just run back like twenty yards, and he he sidearmed it, oh, and, it and it looked like it went, it looked like it went out of bounds about two yards before the line of scrimmage. It was really hard to tell, though. I can understand why a ref didn't call it, but it looked like <laughs> it looked like the ball didn't cross the line of scrimmage, which, of course, obviously would have meant that it was intentional grounding, which mm-hmm. would have caused mm-hmm. the Chiefs to be back 15 yards instead of an right. incompletion. They pro- they might have missed out on the field goal, but whatever. At the end of the at the end of the day, it, it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But I'll, we'll get I'll into def- some of the I'll, play call. We'll get into some of the play calling. I'm going to mention that a little bit later. Yeah, well, I'll definitely and I'll definitely uh, definitely take a look and you know see if you know I see anything in terms of uh, him throwing the ball in questionable non calls. But anyways, um, speaking of calls, man, I mean the the play calling on offense was just so good. I mean, obviously the defense was great. You know, they they just owned the day, absolutely owned the day. But Byron Lefwich was in a groove, especially on those second and third drives. Now, granted, the third drive didn't end at any points. That was kind of a shame. Um, That was one of the negative aspects of this game for Tampa Bay. There weren't many, but that was definitely one of them. And, I mean, just the mix of run, pass. Now, a lot of this was successful because of the offensive line and how well it played. And obviously, we've talked about this a 100 times. If your offensive line is playing well, you can usually do whatever the hell you want to do. We even talked about that in the preview episode. But, dude, I mean, uh, the play call, the play design to Rob Gronkowski on the first touchdown was just absolutely beautiful. Essentially, Mike Evans was a pick, um, and then they had the play fake, and then with Rob Lincoln, uh, leaking out into the flat. I mean, dude, just just all kinds of creativity and ingenuity. And if this is how Tampa Bay is going to play football, especially with the fact that they're not making mistakes, they're not making penalties or creating pen or uh, committing penalties, mm-hmm. dude. I mean, and maybe this is just the pre-morning. That maybe this is just the morning after hype. Maybe I, you know, I'll I'll back off of this in a few days, a few weeks, whatever. But depending on what happens in free agency and uh, the draft, obviously that's going to go a long way. How this team is playing football over these last eight weeks, the word unstoppable. You can closely associate that word with this team. I mean, four penalties for only 39 yards. The the Kansas City Chiefs had 11 penalties for 120 yards. Yeah, I'd say we had a Super Bowl. They set a Super Bowl record for the most penalty yards in the first. That's half. ridiculous. Now there are some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I wish we had a, an official rules analyst here on Bucks Nation uh, podcast channel, but unfortunately we do not. So I am not. I am no rules analyst to say the least. But there were some questionable rule um, uh, calls being made by the refs, and there was some. There were some of those DPIs and some of those holdings that some people were saying that if they, I'm going to shift this a little bit because I I know where you're going with that, but I'm going to I'm going to go here real quick. Some of those calls that those refs were making, if they let them quote unquote play ball like they did in the NFC Championship, as we saw, right? Oh well, that wasn't being called, but that was et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
if that if that game was called anything like the NFC Championship, is this a closer game? Is this a closer game? I mean, it's heavily scrutinized. I heard it all over Good Morning Football. I heard it on PFT. I've been watching shows all morning since about 8 o'clock this morning. I got up and started watching sports uh, TV, and, and I'm telling you, that was one of the key themes coming out of last night's game. I thought it was pretty pretty remarkable. So I thought I'd ask you, if that changes, those, those calls get changed, you know, as far as how they're calling the game. Is it a much closer game? I no doubt that the Bucs will win still, no matter what. The Bucs would have won. It's not a matter of who won. Have, but would, would the Chiefs have had the momentum to make it a lot closer? It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter at the end of the day because the penalties were called and they were legit. They were legit calls. It doesn't matter how one crew called the game before and compared to the next crew, it's, it's, it's completely different. And you know who really doesn't care? If you're not Chris Jones, the Chiefs. Uh, Frank Clark, Tyron yeah. Matthew, a lot of the chief, even Andy Andy Reid said, "We don't care about the penalties. The penalties aren't what lost us yeah. the game. We are what lost yep. us the game." Yep. And those penalties, like I said, they were legit. The one on Mike Evans with Brashad Breeland. Yeah, yeah, where they got tangled up in their feet. Tony right. Romo tried to sit there and say that's that's probably no, that is so not uncanny. He was Mike Evans was three yards away from the ball. I had and to rewatch that, and it was even yeah. as he was falling, the ball was three yards in front of him. So just imagine if he had two more strides. And somebody I saw somebody on Twitter say that Mike Evans sold it. Which who cares if he did? It was a great sell if he did. Yeah, it was so, a great sell. Who cares? So, and then the one in the end. <laughs> zone on Tyron Matthew was absolutely a hold. Now, the Chris Jones call was, yeah. now you can't retaliate. I mean, that's one thing everybody knows. So in that mm-hmm. sense, it was a good call, but he didn't really do anything to warrant any uh, unnecessary roughness. And that was a big call because the Bucks would have been in a third and seven instead of getting 15 yards and a first down right. if he doesn't commit that penalty. And then obviously you had the uh, Traverius Ward hold on the Tyron Matthew interception where Fournette tried to just stupidly catch that pass and it bounced off his hands and landed into Tyron Matthew's breadbasket. Um, that, that was a hold as well. But to go with kind of your earlier point of if it was more like the Packers game, probably wouldn't have been called. But still, at the end of the mm-hmm. day, the Chiefs made a lot of dumb mistakes. I mean, you look at Cal- uh, Travis Kelsey's drop on third down that was wide open that he should have had that he always makes. Now, granted, there was a little bit of interference with the Bucks defenders. They were making not talking about DPI, just talking about in the sense of they were covering him tightly and were doing their jobs, and it wasn't going to be an easy catch. But he was open, and he always usually makes those catches. Um, and then you had Kansas City taking the timeout. Uh, on that drive before halftime after Gronk catches the third and the catch to convert the third and two. I mean, Daryl Williams dropping the pass on fourth down in the fourth quarter um, in the end zone. I mean, the chiefs just mentally were not there in this game and Tommy Townsend dropping the punt, uh, you know, all that other stuff. I mean, just, and then the bad punt after that, if you would have never watched one game of football in your entire life, and you would have flipped this game on, you would have thought the Bucks were the defending world champions and the Chiefs were the ones trying to make a name for themselves. It was pretty amazing, I guess, obviously, as the whole game out, uh, flowed uh, from underneath itself. And, and I don't think, I think uh, aside from yourself, everybody obviously wants the Cinderella, you know, the Cinderella story kind of that obviously did occur, but I think everybody wants this perfect offensive game. Remember the remember the Patriots, uh, Patriots and Rams. 
If you remember that, I forgot yep. which Super Bowl that was. What was that? Three years ago? Four years ago? That would have. That was. That was. Wait. Oh, sorry. You're talking about the second Patriots and Rams. I was thinking of the first Patriots Rams, which was also a defensive game. No, but, no, no, no. I'm yeah, talking yeah, about the that, one that with one, Goff and Brady. Yeah, that was 2018. So two. Years yeah, ago. dude. Okay, so completely defensive. What was the final score? Ten to three. Ten to three. Holy 13, shit. 13. 13-3 or 10-3? Okay, it was sick to be, to just regardless, right? It was the most boring game out of the entire, any Super Bowl I've ever seen was the most boring game. I swear to God, half my party, we had a big watch party and half the party left already. They were just bored of it. And uh, you never want to see that. So everyone wants to see high flying. And of course, I'm thinking I'm giving credit to, to the Chiefs. Of course, I'm getting credit to the Bucks. It's going to be a high-flying game. So I'm going to go back to your offensive question here about the play calling with Byron Leftwich. He was in a groove. It was amazing. But you know what? I think it's much more credit to Tom Brady. Tom Brady was the general. He came out on that. He was able to call his audibles. He was able to see the plays. He was able to take a package that Leftwich would give him and call, call that number and then determine who's going to be making that play. And he call it at the line. That would be... That is exactly how they needed to do it. Were they doing it early on in the season? No, because I don't think that they were they were that good yet figuring each other out. It took a lot of study time and it took a lot of figuring out and gelling time to get, you know, the lingo and the 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 jiving between Leftwich and Brady and even Arians to be able to be allowed to kind of do that and be on the same page. They were definitely on different pages at the beginning of the season to be allowed to be able to do that. But now being able to, and I love Arian's comments where he says, you know, I let Tom be Tom. He's out on the, he's out on the field. It's his offense. He calls it. Now we know that that's not completely true. Left, which is still throwing in the package given the situation, but still Brady knows what's best and which, you know, does it go left? Does it go right? Is it, is it on the first, second, third route? You know, what, what's going to happen um, obviously on that play. And I love seeing the play action just be so effective on this game. So from an overall perspective, very well put together, but I'm going to throw Tom Brady in that coaching mix. I think it was his play calling abilities just as much as it was Byron Leftwich's. And the other side of that is look at the blend of the run and pass, or pass 195 passing yards. And 145 yards rushing. I've never seen again. I don't. I don't remember the last time I've seen combined yardage that close in this big of a game. Usually, you're throwing it a lot, or you're running a lot, or you know, I don't know. I've never seen maybe the passing yardage this low, but that close. And and it really does prove that the the blend of the run and the pass. We've said it here on on NSP. We've said it on Commissioner's Corner. We've said it. The Bucs really needed to find a good sense of run and pass. Now, I'm a little disappointed in Ronald Jones' performance when he was on that uh, goal-to-go situation on the on the Kansas City one in the second quarter. A little disappointed there. You know, well, I wonder, once I'm actually saying maybe you should have given it to Fournette. But <laughs> I wonder how much his – even though he didn't really fumble, I mean, but it was damn close. I wonder how much that affected – his decision to not reach out for the ball or for the goal line on that fourth down because you know man, all he had, all he all he had to do yeah. was just kind of stick that hand Six out. Six inches, honestly, man. That's yeah. It. And, and honestly, from the overhead shot that they kept showing, which I loved, I loved that how ball they had was almost that, right on the line. 
it yeah. looked yeah it looked over man it, it definitely God. looked over i mean if you associate where his body is with where you know the ball but you know obviously if you can't see it it's, it's hard to overturn that call but you know you got to and this is obviously speculation but you got to just wonder how much you know that that a play uh, that affected him not reaching but here here's what i kind of surmise at the end of the day Kansas City making all these mistakes feeling like they have to prove something out there just playing too hard you know trying to force the issue the laser focus we saw from Tampa Bay you know like I mentioned earlier just SMB being aware you know just examples like that the execution that we saw top-notch for the most part mistake-free football the killer mentality that we've seen from this team closing out these games in the fourth quarter Tampa Bay when they got the ball back after stopping uh, Mahomes and the Chiefs in the red zone uh, after Darrell Williams dropped that fourth down pass in the end zone, came out and ran the ball four straight times for 23 yards, or sorry, five straight times for 27 yards, two first downs, and then bled like three minutes, three or four minutes off the clock before giving the ball back to the Chiefs, which obviously isn't a complete success, but it still goes a long way in determining the game. All of this is the Tom Brady effect, man. I mean, everything that I just mentioned, your opponent wanting to just drive you into the ground because of just strictly who you are, the focus, the execution, the the no mistakes, and then the killer mentality, that is Tom Brady's career in a damn nutshell, dude. And Tampa Bay right now is absolutely reaping the benefits. Uh, Even on defense. Even on the defensive side of the ball, you're seeing – Brady bleed into the other side of the ball. And that was just amazing. I, I you know, the picture of of the the post game of Levante David and Tom Brady hugging the way that they did. Levante was so elated because you know what? He's waited for this. He's held on being a buccaneer for how many years? And he's held I, on him and Mike Evans, you know, holding on, knowing. That, that this team is shaping into something. Now, they probably would have hoped that over the past five years with Jameis, they probably were going to shape it into something. Obviously, the coaching wasn't there. Jameis wasn't quite there. Could have been. Coaching wasn't there. The pieces weren't there. And then all of a sudden, it's it's like this masterful, like, uh, crafted piece you know it's an artwork that just got created here in 2020 season by jason light and bruce aarons and the rest of the staff it's just amazing seeing levante hug out tom brady like that like like almost like a thank you like thank you for doing this for us (laughs) because you know it's like beyond being a teammate it's like thank you for coming here and doing what you do best and and it, it is it's that brady effect as much as uh you know it's interesting kind of saying it like that because you're like, thank you for coming here. It's almost like he's like a savior. But I mean, it's just he not is. a new team. And, but he was a savior. He is. Right. He's a, he is a savior. I mean, I'm freaking insane, to, man. Yeah, I'm not trying to overblow anything. I'm not trying to, you know, add storylines, narratives. He literally came to Tampa Bay and in one year plucked this team out of purgatory. Out of losing seasons, out of missing team that could never win, that cannot find a way to win. Yes, and Bruce even said it himself. Tom knew that we had a good team last year, but we didn't know how to win. I mean, he said it himself. Yep. Yeah. So, and he 
fucking won the Super Bowl. I mean, dude, <laughs> bomb on I mean, the NSP. Woo! I, mean, dude, I mean, like, I, there's no other way around it at this point. There, there's no arguing it against it. Tom Brady is the best wherever he goes. He has success, and it's all because of how he plays the game. And I mean, dude, and just kind of piggybacking off what you're talking about, Jason Light and Bruce Arians and putting everything together, they absolutely deserve all the credit in the world. I wrote about it on BucksNation.com today. They knew exactly what they were doing with this roster. They didn't listen to the idiots like me who questioned the Gronk trade, who questioned the Fournette signing, who was apathetic about the AB signing. I mean, you know, I, I raised commotion about all that stuff because I was worried about depth, depth concerns in case injuries because it's the NFL and all this other stuff. But lo and behold, all of them made plays. Every single one of them scored a touchdown. All three of them scored a touchdown. In well, the, let me ask the, you something, Evan. In the Super Bowl. None I of mean, that it, scrutiny was there. But none of that scrutiny was there. Let's just say you, you said, oh, it's the greatest ever. If everyone came and said, this is the greatest ever, do you think the fires would have been lit? Do you think the motivation, the driver, the the yeah. sheer emotion that surrounded this team and the way that they were out to prove something throughout this season would have been there? Hell no. They were out to prove something because of the haters and all the, you know, listen, any good analysis, any good analyst is going to sit there and say, you know, and question things. That's what we do. We question things. I mean, you're one of the best analysts I know. And I'm telling you, you, you can look at this and say, I question this, right? And, oh, yeah. and I'm looking at it like when I question fantasy play, right? Whenever I'm talking about fantasy football, I'm questioning the play. I'm questioning how it's going to, who's going to play in what position? Who am I sitting? Who am I going? Who am I starting? It, you have to question it otherwise. And, and I feel like the challenge in itself helps make a team better. As much as I think everyone says that, hey, I drown all that stuff out, it's still there. Somehow, some way, it bleeds into that locker room. They hear it, they see it, and it motivates them. So um, I wanted I wanted to interject there because I wanted to say, that's it. I'm okay. It's kind of one of those, I don't give a buck about all the hate. I'm telling you, I think it was beneficial to this team. That's all. No, and I mean, just what better way to just put the icing on the cake or the exclamation point at the end of the sentence than to have all three of those guys that I mentioned, Gronk, Antonio yeah. Brown, and Leonard Fournette, score touchdowns in the Super Bowl and be major, major factors in or being the factors, actually, in deciding the game. I mean, just you cannot – Ryan Suckup yeah. also being the scoring uh, non-closing it out. Right. And, I mean, it's just – you can't make this shit up. You really can't. It, it's truly a storybook season, and it's going to go down, at least in Tampa Bay lore. It's already the best ever. But, I mean, I think when when the NFL, when, when we look back on this year in history and just kind of – especially Mahomes continues on the ascension that he was on, uh, you know, um, before this game, if he continues doing what he's been doing, then, dude, I mean – this could be one of the most impressive Super Bowl wins in, in a long time. It, but either way, I still got a long, long way to get to that point. Don't have a long, long way, unfortunately, to get to this commercial break. We're going to hop into this real quick, and then we're going to kind of talk about where the Bucks go from here uh, before we let y'all go. Welcome back into the North and South Podcast. Evan Winter, Jason Curtis here with y'all today, recapping 
the Super Bowl 55 victory for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jason, before we jump into a little quick preview on where the Bucs go from here during the offseason, you had a couple of points you wanted to hit on real quick before we transitioned. Yeah, I want to just talk about, you know, the comparison that this team and we, we've stressed about how much the Buccaneers have improved throughout the 2020 season. Well, let's talk about the second half of that season. I think one of the lowest lows that the Bucs have experienced was during weeks 10, 11 and 12. I mean, that was a straight three run loss and it just could not, you know, that bye week could not have come sooner. But let's look at the week 12. Their three loss run there. Uh, was capped off against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, looking at what they needed to improve on, and of course, they were always questioned leading up to the Super Bowl over the past two weeks. The biggest question marks have been over what have you learned about that, about the Kansas City Chiefs heading into Week 12? And the same was applied to you know Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and those teams about the, the about the Bucks. And even the the Kansas City Chiefs said, you know, I don't think we gave them as much credit as I think they were owed. I think that still resonated heading into the Super Bowl. I don't think that they gave the Buccaneers as much credit as they were owed. The second part is controlling the clock. They needed to control the clock better. So here, Kansas City Chiefs held the ball for 36 minutes and 47 seconds in week 12. The Buccaneers flipped that script, and they went for 31 minutes and 23 seconds compared to Kansas City's 28-37. Right there, that showed that the Buccaneers were obviously coming in with the right game plan. So that was a critical component was being able to control the clock a lot better, taking better care of the ball. There was the one interception that got called back because of the penalty, but Tom Brady on paper was interception free. And that was critical to being able to take care of the ball. And I think Evan Denny, he threw for two interceptions back in week 12 against, uh, uh, against the Kansas City defense, if I'm not mistaken, one to Tyron yeah. Matthew. Yeah, he had two. And I can't think of the other one, right. So that was super critical to, to make sure that they're controlling the ball. And I really, and I think that resonates with our listeners. That's why I wanted to make sure that you guys were seeing that maturity just from week 12. You had asked, Evan, uh, when, the, when the postseason started, and I think uh, as we were heading into Super Bowl coverage, you asked, a bunch of media personalities, what their turning point of the season was. Uh, you did not ask me, however. So my turning point was week 12. That was it. That game heading into the bye week was the turning point for the Buccaneers. And I think that was a critical. They needed to lose. I, I kind of feel like they needed to lose in order to win this game. Brady's not known for constantly losing. Now, the two games, I almost put that first New Orleans Saints game week one. I throw that away because it was no preseason. It was it was a, an away game. It was just it, just throw it away almost. So for them to lose the second one, I almost feel like they just lost the first time, I guess, in, in some capacity, if you're kind of gelling with what I'm saying here. So I think that Brady does not make it a habit of losing twice to the same team. So. I had almost all the faith in the world that the Buccaneers were going to pull out this win just because of how week 12 unfolded. They needed to lose in order for them to win this game. And for that, that's pretty remarkable. Um, the other comments I wanted to make were about Travis Kelsey's comments. I just posted a, a, a new article out at BucksNation.com. Please go out and check it out. Really great post-game uh, press conference from Travis Kelsey because he really 
you know, you've seen it from Cam Newton. You've seen it from other uh, big name stars coming out of a, a depressing Super Bowl loss. And they can blame people and they can they could slouch in their chairs and then go, man, whatever. You know, I'm just here, so I'm not getting fined kind of thing. But Travis Kelsey tipped his hat and he said, you know what? We got beat. We got beat by the better team. And I think that actually we said that earlier. It, that resonated across the, the board, right? Randy, uh, Andy Reid said it. You know, Todd Bowles, he, he had our number. He had our number throughout the whole game. And, I mean, we saw that with Patrick Mahomes. Like, we, we're not done. We're coming back. You know, and, and that's the mentality that this – Kansas City Chiefs are going to have a remarkable year. I would not put it past you, Evan. We see Kansas City, Tampa Bay, Super Bowl 56. Watch that. <laughs> That'll yeah. be pretty interesting to say the least. Last, yeah, that would be cool. Last thing I want the NFL to turn into is college football, where it's basically Alabama, Clemson. Every- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hey, it's going to be the goat and the kid constantly in the next, uh, t- at least for the next two years. It looks like that it, that is going to be the storyline. That will be the narrative. With you know, obviously, it, it ended this season, and it could very easily be the same narrative that we hear throughout the 2021 season heading into 2022 playoffs and, and Super Bowl. So you never know what could happen with this team coming together, which we're going to get to in just a minute, kind of leading into it. But I wanted to say that Travis Kelsey and, and the rest of the guys, props to them. I mean, Kansas City needed to lose, you know, and I'm sure fans are very emotional about that. But props to the Kansas City Chiefs for being mature about it. Props to them for giving credit where credit was due. And for the comments that they said, you know, Travis Kelsey said, hey, they schemed us up pretty well. They knew what, no matter what we did, there wasn't anything we could have done that they were not going to do better. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that was actually one of the quotes that he said. And one of the quotes they also said is they put a cap over the top and didn't allow us to get behind the defense knowing how fast we are. That's why that secondary playing as lights out as they did absolutely best game of the entire season all wrapped into one i mean i i I just never seen that i get chills just thinking about it you ramp up ramp up you got your little peaks and valleys and then you know it's like the stock market man you you hope that your stock climbs and boom their their stock peaked man they're up at 50 bucks a share now (laughs) basically their uh their game stopped from a couple weeks ago but yeah speaking of that uh secondary and just moving forward in general, you've got to feel good moving forward with the secondary that the Bucks have in place. They're young, they're cheap, and they still have all of them under contract for at least another year. Um, Jordan Whitehead, Carlton Davis, they're both entering contract years. And obviously it remains to see it remains to be seen what happens after that. But fortunately, the Bucks don't have to worry about them this year. Who they do have to worry about, however, are players such as Chris Godwin, Indomitian Sue, Levante David, uh, Shaq Barrett, Rob Gronkowski, Joe Hegg, Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown, Raquin Nunez Rochez, Kevin Minter. I mean, all of these, Ryan Suckup, all of these guys had Aaron Stinney. I mean, all of these guys had major, major impacts and gave forth major contributions to Tampa Bay's Super Bowl run. We've already covered Gronk, Antonio Brown, and Leonard Fournette. 
So it's going to be really interesting to see how Tampa Bay navigates their salary cap. Bruce Arians said today that he's pretty sure they can keep everybody together, or at least they're going to try to keep everybody together. And there's already a report out there saying Mike Evans is willing to take more money off the top in order to help create some salary cap space to keep everybody together. And then you look at a guy like Donovan Smith, who's also entering a contract year, um, 14.2 million can easily be, easily be restructured and extended and push some of that money on down the line. But that's obviously for about a month from now when we can really start diving or not even a month, sorry, about a week or two from now when we really start diving into the salary cap and all that good stuff. So Jason, let's just keep this kind of basic. Who's yep. the number, who's the number one player you want back in terms of a free agent on the bucks in 2021? I don't know if I was as prepared for that. Um, I, I I'd probably have to put something like a Chris Godwin or Levante David. I I just that you got to keep this defense intact. You got to keep the defense intact. I think they can probably replace some pieces on offense and still be effective with Brady. I think that's how the Patriots have have folded have uh, developed their offense. It was plug and play, right? Because as long as you can fit in the scheme. Anybody can can fit into it, whether you're an, uh, an Edelman or a Hogan or or other. It, it didn't matter. Right. And I think that's kind of indicative to how Brady kind of passes it around. Right. He's not just he's not dependent on just Mike Evans, as many people think. And he's not he's not as dependent on Antonio Brown, although he had one game for 11 catches or he had a you know big down the seam throw or catch. Well, so did Scotty Miller. Right. I think Tyler Johnson, an up-and-coming rookie, is going to play lights out next year. Next year, watch that kid make the same type of moves that Chris Godwin did last year. Tyler Johnson's going to be a staple in that offense. So leaving some room for him, I, I, if they're not without Antonio Brown, I'm not going to be surprised. If they're Should they bring back Rob Gronkowski? I, hey, listen, if O.J. Howard comes back and he's fully healthy, I'm not hating it if he doesn't return. I think he should. But if they have Cameron Braid, who was playing lights out, uh, amazing receptions in the Super Bowl and throughout the postseason, he played amazing uh, while Gronkowski was the, the in pass protection, right? So as long as they, my point is, the defense has to stay intact more. I'm going to go back. That's my long way of saying Levante David's probably the number one key staple. He's a captain of that defense. They got to make sure that they retain him. Figure out the financials, and that's that's another thing. Like to, to piggyback off of your statements is that Bruce Arians also said in his conferences, well, well, you know, I'll, we have to make sure that the financials work. But he has high confidence that we'll make them work, and and this team has such a good bond that they all want to come back. And I think that there will be some players that will re renegotiate their contracts potentially to stay on the team. Um, they'll make sure that they're not getting traded off and things like that, because I really do think that this team wants to stay together. They want to make a, a repeat run for the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 56. So we'll have to see, but Levante David. So Tampa Bay has 30 players under contract. Obviously you need a 53 man roster. So that leaves 23 players to sign at minimum with uh, $38 million in cap room. I was trying to find how much Kansas city's, draft class last year cost them because obviously they had a 32nd pick, but I couldn't find the numbers in time. I want to say it's not going to be more than five or $6 million. 
So that automatically gives you six or seven players. I can't remember if Tampa Bay has seven draft picks right off the top of my head right now. But either way, six or seven players for about five to six million dollars. So that takes you up to about 36 or 37 players with about 32 million dollars. And then you mm-hmm. want to pay, and then you want to take five million off usually for injury money. So that takes you down to 27 million. So now you're at about 16 players, 17 players to sign with $27 million. Obviously not a whole lot of money. I expect a lot more one-year deals, all this other stuff um, to come out um, in this offseason. Man, but – and I would have said to myself – first off, I would have drug tested myself. But then I also would have told myself, you're absolutely insane if I would have said this at the beginning of the year. But, man, right now – as great as Chris Godwin has been, even though he did have a pretty lackluster postseason, and I wonder how much that's going to play into negotiations. I don't think he'll have a lot to say. I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll pull a lot of weight. His limited postseason, however, never know. It could. But um, man, right now, and Dominican Sue is extremely valuable to what this team wants to do. When Vita Vea went down, and Dominican Sue was. I mean, obviously, you have Shaq. And JPP, but in terms of the, somebody on the interior, somebody who's help who's help keeping the machine running, and Dominican Sue was the guy. I mean, he was physical. He was aggressive. He took up double teams. He was violent. He was fast at the point of attack. His get off is still there off the line of scrimmage. He's still an excellent run defender. And in this Kansas City game, rewatching it. He was all over the place. I mean, he had he made many plays just like he did in week 12. Now, he's obviously more of a vigilante. He's kind of your Daryl Revis where he's going to sign a one-year deal to try to get as much money as possible. So cost is going to be a huge determining factor. I would like to get him back at the same price this year. I would pay him another $8.5 million, whatever it is, um, to come back this year. But if you're talking picking between all of them since you took Levante David, I mean, I, right now I would have Indomitian Sue. I would have I would have David probably first, Indomitian Sue second, and then Chris Godwin third. Um, so like I said, man, just based off what this defense does and what it can do with him in the mm-hmm. lineup, I just think he's number one priority. But it's going to be interesting to see how everything unfolds. Um, obviously, we've got a long way to go before we start seeing that. And obviously the draft. Right is going to have a major, major impact on who they decide to bring back. Bruce Arians even said today, you know, Jason's going to hit another home run, so we'll be fine. Hopefully that happens. But obviously a long, long way to go until then. I'm pretty happy with how Ledbetter's played. And so if Ledbetter were to step in with v- with a healthy Vita Vea, now it does obviously pr- it proves that we need a little bit more depth, but hopefully with McLennan and Nunez Rochas also playing very well this season, yeah, but they're both – Nunez Rocha, this is a free agent, so you don't even know if he's going to be around next year. Uh, that's true, but I guess I'm just getting at the point at where um, – and, and I'm only being slightly challenging with your pick, and just as much as I would expect you to be uh, critical of my pick is is just uh, that I think that there's enough there on that defensive line that can that can replace Ndamukong Sue. If, if he wasn't going to be around – and you're right, Nunez Rocha, if they both left, it leaves even more – do we go with a, a another rookie? Do we go with another Vita Vea? That's basically what I'm getting at, right? Do, do, in the draft and pick someone up in the first or second round, which that which will play very interesting. Keep the name Davian Nix in your Davian head. Nix. He's Where's a he defense, he's a defensive lineman from uh, Iowa, 
and Iowa. they produce some good guys. He is Corn. he is essentially yeah he is essentially Corn bread eating guys up there. <laughs> he's he's an Indomitian Sioux clone. I mean, he's exactly what Indomitian Sioux does. Wow. Um, okay. I don't I don't disagree about Jeremiah Led, Jeremiah Ledbetter. He has been serviceable. However, he's only played he only played five percent of the defensive snaps in twenty twenty. So I don't Did know. Did I put you another name? Did I say Jeremy Ledbetter? No, no, you had it right. Um, but oh, uh, wow, I thought no, I, I said it wrong again. I don't. Well, I think I think you <laughs> I got just a running said, record of screwing I think you up just uh, said, football players. I think names. you just said lead better. I think you just said lead better. So you're good either way. But um, <laughs> I don't know if you want to. I don't know if you want to thrust a guy like that into the starting role so quickly, even though he has flashed at times for sure, for sure. But man, this whole episode has flashed went by super quick. Totally a fun conversation. <laughs> I cannot believe we are world champions, man. I just I can't believe it. Let me I don't ask one more question about the the salary cap before we book out because it's I was hoping you would touch on it, but you didn't. So I want to touch on it before you sign us off. Shaq Barrett, we talked about it earlier on uh, just a few weeks ago on one of the previews as one of our hot topics as far as his salary cap and what he's he's worth, right? And he was estimated at about 18, 18 and a half million. He's getting paid 15 now. Does this man get paid? Does Shaq Barrett finally get paid heading into the 2021 season? Yeah, just not with the Bucks. Uh, and trust me, oh. I know I didn't have him. I know I didn't have him on my list a second ago. He is extremely important as well. I do not want to underrate him whatsoever. And I honestly think he had a better year this year than he did last year, even if he didn't have as near as many sacks. I mean, just what he did for this defense and just the growth and the improvement and the development that I saw, I think he had a better year. But either way, I just don't think with what they're trying to do as a team and what he wants in terms of money and so on and so forth, I just don't see it happening. I could be 100% wrong, and I totally hope I am, though. But, man, yeah, so it's it's crazy. we got to wrap it up. I really don't even know how to <laughs> Super close Super Bowl 55 champions. Yeah, Holy I just, shit. I, I really don't know how to close this out uh, because obviously there's not going to be a next time. I mean, there will be a next time, but not in terms of talking about a football game. Uh, we have Let's a just relish in it, man. We relish yeah. in it. We, we, how many times do you and I get to cover a Super Bowl team and then let alone a Super Bowl winning team? This is amazing, man. This this is certainly amazing. And uh, I, I, I'm excited. I'm honored to have uh, ridden beside you. Uh, my good friend, and uh, it's it's certainly been a fun, fun season. Obviously, now we're going to prepare for the draft, and uh, it, it's back to work starting next week, preparing for the draft, and we'll have to wait and see, probably take a little bit of time off, I'm assuming, and then we'll have to see where it all plays out, uh, and then uh, hope to see what, what happens with the North and South podcast and, and Bucks Nation here, but it's just been an absolute privilege riding alongside you uh, for the second half of the season, man, and uh, it's just I don't even know how to close it out either, because honestly, um, I, I'm just elated. I'm elated to to do what I love and to cover a team that I love. And it's it's been pretty amazing. And uh, thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners out there, Bucks Nation. Right back at you, man. Yeah, and actually, that's that's the way I figured out the best way to close this episode out. Just wanted to give a big shout out, a big thanks to everyone who has stuck through with us throughout the season. Um, it's been an incredible ride. Through all the mispronunciations, all the corny jokes, all the wrong predictions, all the fun, everything. Thank you all. Mispronounced names. Yes, thank (laughs) you all for the listeners, for everything. Obviously, we wouldn't be doing this without y'all if you were not here to consume our garbage-ass 
uh, production. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, <laughs> thank you, everyone. Y'all mean thank the you. best. We are world champions. Super Bowl Woo! 55. Eat it, Kansas City. Dynasty Killers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Until next time, everyone. Go Bucks! Yeah, well, this mad world made me crazy. Might just turn around to 180. I ain't politicking, I ain't kissing no babies. The devil on my doorstep being so shady. Mm, don't trip. We don't gotta let him in. Don't trip. Hey, yeah. I let it go, but I never go with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, cool, this fall weather. Fuck the bullshit, I'm here to make it all better with a little music for you. I don't do enough for you without you. It's the color blue, oh, no trip. I was in the city, they was talking that shit. Had the homies with me, all of a sudden they split. We ain't even worried, we just laughing, that's rich. You know how it goes, it ain't broke, don't fix.